Did you know one in five Americans live with a mental health problem? <laughs> that means unless you live in a cave, you know someone personally dealing with these issues. So join us and our special guests as we answer your questions, share real stories, and work to pull the curtain back on how stigma impacts our everyday lives and our communities. We believe that making a real impact happens best with candid conversations, laughter, and tears. We are your hosts, Jennifer Teague and Josh Moore, and this is Impact Stigma. Good morning, evening, or afternoon. Hello, Josh. How are you? It's been forever. It feels like it. we had a nice two-week break. Yeah, we did. We did so many back-to-back podcasts for um, Suicide Prevention and Recovery Month. We took a little bit of a hiatus. Yep. So here we are back again. And we will be doing these podcasts about every other week, just so people yes, know. Yes, just so they know for consistency, it usually posts on a Wednesday, and we're going to do two a month. So yep. we're excited about it. And we've had plenty of time to come up with new questions, new... Yes. Yes. And I've got a good way to start this one off. I know you do. You told me about it. I know. All right. I prepared you. You ready? <laughs> yes. All right. So we're going to pick a Halloween costume for each other. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure at all. So... What's your idea for me? All right. I think we discussed that you do kind of look like Carl from Up, like a little bitty, the little bitty boy if you shaved off your Oh, your I would goatee. be Russell in a heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah. For I'd sure. have to shave. Yeah. I don't know. I'm trying to think who else you could be. Hmm. You could be Wreck-It Ralph. That'd be good. Yeah. I've got a good one for you. Oh, gosh. What? It'll cover everything up. Okay. Oogie boogie. Really? Just get a potato sack. Thanks, Josh. You're welcome. I thought you'd like that one. No, not at all. Well, I tried. <laughs> Anything else? I put about 10 seconds of effort into that. You should have appreciated it. Appreciated. Very much. <laughs> oh, so that's, you think I should be a potato sack for Halloween? Thanks. I'm glad that you think that I'm posa- uh, That's that I'm good You're enough for a potato boogie, sack. You're oogie boogie, though. I don't even know what that is. You've never seen Nightmare Before Christmas? Oh, yeah. That, really? That's even worse. <laughs> Thanks a lot. You're rotten. It makes it even better that you didn't know who it was. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> my kids are going to listen to this, and I'm never going to live this one down. Not so, at all. Thank you. And just so you all know, we're all wearing purple this That's month. Right. It's October, and that means it's Domestic Violence Awareness Month, which is something that I'm really excited to talk about today, and it's definitely something close to my heart. So I will just say that, as we all know, like I said, Domestic Violence Awareness Month is in October, and we are honored today to have with us here on Impact Stigma, someone that brings her own personal experience as a survivor, along with years of dedication as the program director for Safe House, Frontier Health Safe, Confidential, Undisclosed Shelter Program, which provides any victim of domestic violence, as well as their dependent children, with a place to stay, as well as multiple services to ensure that they can get the help they need to start over. So it is definitely my pleasure to introduce our guest today. Welcome, Tina Johnson, to Impact Stigma. Thank you. Thanks for having me. How's it going? Going well. We've been very busy. Yes, I can tell. Yes. (laughs) You are a hard, hard woman to track down, for sure. It's ridiculous, (laughs) yes. Well, we know you do a whole lot, so I know Josh has, um, you know, some, some questions for you, so... We're really interested in helping our listeners have a better understanding of who you are. So we have developed a few fun questions for you. Okay. To kind of loosen you up, get you ready. So you ready? I'm ready. If you were a wrestler, what would your intro music be? Oh, wow. <laughs> um, I'm sure mine would be Lizzo. You know, a Lizzo song, but I'm just not sure which one. Okay. Yeah. Mine was uh, Macklemore Thrift Shop. I like it. Yeah. yeah. I like that. Thrifty. Yeah. Mine would probably be my favorite 311 song, Beautiful Disaster. 
There you oh, go. I like yeah. it. Yeah. So mine's truth hurts. It'll be Lizzo. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's really good answers. And funny. <laughs> I think yours is funnier though, because I love the beat where and it starts out and it's like what 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 That song what? is weirdly <laughs> on my playlist. Like it's on my playlist and I don't know why, but I listen to it all the time. So I'm then, very familiar. And then he's going down through there and it's like mm, pop some tags. I yeah. love it. Yeah, so yeah. you're just like, I know that if I walked into the stadium to be a wrestler, that I would listen to this and I'd be able to enter like, a, like <laughs> just like the boss. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I am always going to have something to do with the superhero, superpower world. And I'm going to switch it up this week because I usually say, what's your favorite? What's the superpower you would pick? But right. I love superheroes. So since it is Halloween and all, who is your favorite superhero and why? Um, I would probably have to say Wonder Woman. Girl power. Yes. Girl power all the way. I wish there was a blonde Wonder Woman, but I love Wonder Woman. I have since I was little. Her mom is blonde. Supergirl yes. is blonde. Oh, yes. I did I did look at her up recently. Yes. Yes. She's the cousin of Superman. That's right. Isn't Captain Marvel blonde, sort of? Yeah, but nobody yes. likes Captain Marvel. Yeah. She's on my the wall. New- Hello. Storm. I like Storm. Yeah. Storm is cool. Yeah. 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 How about you, Josh? My favorite superhero? Yeah. Batman. Okay. He has no superpowers. He's just and really smart. And he kicks Superman's butt. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Just a normal dude. He's like, I'm an average, average, everyday Joe, sort of. I just have a zillion dollers and I'm able Plus to make things. Plus, he the best villain. The best arch nemesis is the Joker. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yes. He's yes. scary. Yes. Definitely scary. All right. I got one more fun question. I can tell a lot about people by the food they eat. What is your favorite all-time food? Not, you know, style of food, not none of that. But, like, what is your favorite thing you crave and you just want? Mm, so... Birthday cake. That's a good one. Yeah, I have been known to go buy myself a birthday cake just any time I want it. And I love birthday cake. Birthday cake is really good. That is a very good one. Vanilla or chocolate? Vanilla. Okay. Yes, and it has to be white cake, white icing. Buttercream ice? Yes. And I just pretend it's my birthday, pretend I'm buying it for someone else. You know, people, you go through the line, oh, is it someone's birthday? Mm Mm-hmm, someone's. I'm celebrating whoever was born today. Thanks. (laughs) Right. I love that. I think that's great. I really do. I love birthday cake as well. Mm -hmm. So I'm a chocolate girl, but I can totally handle some vanilla cake for sure. (laughs) Now that we all know you a little bit more personally, can you share with our listeners more about how you came to be with Frontier Health and your role as the program director for Safe House? So I started with Frontier Health uh, many, many years ago. I was 18 and fresh out of high school. Started working as a preschool teacher in a therapeutic nursery for abused and neglected children. And that's kind of when I decided I wanted to work with kids who had had a rough road, kids who didn't have the best start in life and kind of figure out what I could do to help them. At that point, the funding for therapeutic nurseries ended, and I was asked by a friend if I would want to come and work at a domestic violence shelter. I was experiencing some things in my personal life at that time, and I decided I thought that's exactly where I needed to be. I think sometimes we're placed where we're supposed to be, and I've been there for over 20 years. It's my place. It's where I'm supposed to be. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be, and I'm so lucky that I get to come to work every day and work with victims of domestic violence and sexual assault and kind of help them find their voice and start start a new life free from abuse. That's a really yeah. amazing position to be in. Just yes. to know that you get to be that person that, you know, when they're really having a hard time and, and they need help the most, that they get to come to you. I know what kind of person you are, so I know how blessed they are to have you. Thank you. 
October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And during this episode of Impact Stigma, for our listeners out there, we want you to know that first of all, you are not alone. And it doesn't matter the circumstances of your relationship or your past. No one deserves to be abused. And your partner's abusive actions are never your fault. Second, if you or someone you know is a victim of domestic violence and you are inspired at all during this podcast to reach out for help or feel triggered in any way, please don't hesitate to call our 24-7 domestic violence hotline at 844-578-7233 or the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. We want to have candid and open and sometimes even humorous conversations while we talk about the stigma that surrounds mental and behavioral health issues here on Impact Stigma. So please remember this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment for mental and behavioral health issues. If you do need further assistance or have questions, please visit the Frontier Health website at FrontierHealth.org for more information. All right. Tina, you know, we had a conversation and after I reached out to you about being a guest on the podcast and, you know, ran you down in the hall here at Frontier Health because I yes. know how busy you are. I didn't want to let you get away. Um, we did have a chance to talk and it was such a good conversation and it was just, it spoke to me. Um, as you know, I'm also a survivor as you are and I just was really moved by your story. So if you would please, I would love for you to share with our listeners the story that you shared with me of your personal experience with domestic violence. Sure. So I was very young, got into a relationship when I was 17 years old with someone quite a bit older than me. Um, I got married really young at 18. Kind of my parents were not completely on board with that. I had plans to go right into college, was not going to change any of my plans, but I wanted to get married. So I, I did that. We had been dating for a couple of years and it started out good. As with domestic violence, you don't these things don't start out bad. They don't wear a sign that say I'm an abuser no. and they don't show you all those bad things. It started out really great. Something that's different from from myself than some of the clients I work with. I grew up in a loving home. My parents are still happily married after 54 years. And I honestly did not know what domestic violence was. I had only seen it in movies and just had no idea that people treated their wives and or husbands that way. It doesn't start with physical abuse either. You know, I had no. a good self-esteem. I had, you know, great childhood. I had a great uh, high school years. I, I was a happy person with a pretty good self-esteem. And then, you know, little by little uh, in the relationship, my self-esteem started to go down. Just those constant emotional, personal digs at you that they yeah. that they do. So... After a little bit, um, I got pregnant with my uh, oldest child, my oldest son. And And how old is he? He is now 25. Wow. So uh, he he was born. Things were just at a controlling and emotional level of abuse. He controlled money. He controlled my time, things like that. He didn't want me to go back to finish school once I had my son, and that was really important to me. So I took a little time off from school and then got pregnant with my youngest son, and that's when the physical abuse became violent, when, when the phys- physical abuse started. So it's, I have a question. Sure. So when, when you got hurt the first time, what actually happened to you the very first time? Oh, I know exactly what you're saying. No, it was not a punch, a slap, a choke. It was nothing like that. It was taking his fingers and pushing my shoulders and just pushing me back really hard. And I was shocked. He was very angry when he did it. It was the look on his face. It was the the way he was treating me far more than the, the pain that his fingers pushing into my shoulder felt. Yeah. 
it, it felt like I had done something wrong. I had something to be ashamed of. And I just went into, how do I fix this? What did I do wrong? I need to make this better. Right. Do you feel like he worked on you for a long time? Oh, absolutely. He had me convinced if I just didn't make him mad, if I did things right, if um, basically if dinner's on the table and the house is clean and the child is happy when he gets home. I mean, it, it, it wasn't so cliche, but I was convinced this was my problem to fix and there was a reason I wasn't in a happy marriage like my, I had grown up in. I'm curious, when you say he pushed his fingers into your shoulder, I have a fun question. I bet sure. you asked this of yourself. I do this a lot. If he had pushed his fingers into your shoulder after your second month together, do you think that girl would have reacted the same way? Oh, absolutely not. I would have been out of there. Nobody, I would have never thought I would have allowed someone to put their hands on me and talk to me the way that he did. I know that he spit in my face one time. Mm. That was one of my, that was one of my lowest moments. Was it something you can, you remember what you did that made him do that? I got home from work late, and that, that was because my child couldn't find his shoe when I got to pick him up at childcare, and we were searching for his shoe. He was standing outside looking at his watch when I got home, and, you know, I was maybe seven or eight minutes later than, than I usually was getting home from work. So, obviously, that must mean I'm cheating and having an affair and all of those things that abusers like to accuse you of, but really, I had been at work for eight hours. I had gone to pick up my two boys, and we couldn't find a shoe, and it started one of the most violent fights that ever have. Wow. Well, I'm glad you're here. I'm, I'm just glad that it didn't result in something more tragic. I really am. Me too. Thank you. You're welcome. People need to hear that, you know. So how long was your abuse? So I was with him for seven, seven years married, uh, almost eight by the time the divorce was final. And previous to that, we so were... So how many, how many years was nine the abuse? total. Um, the abuse was... Probably six six full years of emotional abuse and physical abuse. The The physical abuse started about two years in to wow. the marriage. Wow. So he took his time. Yeah, he did. He His father, I had seen some, just not the way my family treated each other. When I would go to his house after we got married, his, his dad intimidated me and scared me in, in the beginning. But I just thought it's a different family. You know, they're just not right. like my family. We're... We're hugs and yeah. we're just a close, tight, yeah. tight-knit family. We show love to each other. And it was just a different dynamic. And I thought he would really benefit from being around my family because they love you to death. They, yeah. you know, they cook for you. They they give you hugs. They're just, um, and I just thought I could help him maybe get some of what he didn't get in his own childhood. You just have a big heart and wanted to help, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that. Yeah. I understand that. You know, I thought about this podcast for seven or eight days before we got here, and it's been it's been very much a trigger for me, and it's okay. You know, it's not a trigger the same way you would think. It's more of a, I really want to make sure our message reaches that lady out there that needs, or man. Men are probably more psychologically and emotionally abused than physically abused from women, but they do absolutely 100% deal with that. And that's, that's, we're not leaving the male gender out in any way, Josh. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we want to make sure that we're covering that. And, and I just want you to be able to tell your story. And I just want to give you grace and let you know that this is hard. Getting through that and surviving that is absolutely one of the hardest things in, in the world to do because they don't just hit you the very first time they meet you. They take away who you are first, and they chop who you are away and put in place what they want so that they can manipulate and control and have power over you. 
And it's, it doesn't go away when they leave. Absolutely. That sticks with you for a long time. And I think what you said is true. I, I usually talk about this with, with clients when it's appropriate, when they need to hear something personal that maybe they're going through that I can relate to. But uh, I guess I just want to do a really good job letting people know this doesn't define you. If you're in a violent relationship, you can move on. You can have the best life. You can look back at that person you used to be and not even recognize that person. I cannot imagine today any of those things happening to me, they, they just wouldn't. My boundaries no. are different. Uh, I know more. And, you know, I wouldn't change what I went through. I have two beautiful sons who are my whole world. I get to work with women every day and help them, women and men. We typically do see women in the shelter, but you know, everyone can be a victim of domestic violence. But I get to help people kind of rebuild their lives and you know, help them be who they want to be. And, you know, we have them draw a picture sometimes of show me how you thought your life was going to be when you were young. What was, what's a picture? And tell me, you know, how it is, how it ended up. Now show us where you really want to be. And I like to let them know nobody knows who they are when they're 17, 18. You don't know what you want. And you get every single day, you get a whole new chance to start over and build the life that you want to have. I love that. It's so beautiful. I can't believe that, you know, so many people out there get the opportunity to take something tragic and turn it into something beautiful. And I know from everything I've heard about you and what you do at Safe House with Frontier Health, it is very beautiful. So thank I feel you for your very blessed to, to be in this position. I get to um, take something. I, I would volunteer for this program if I didn't work <laughs> for it. I know I would. That's so. saying you're, you know, that means you're where you're supposed <laughs> yeah, to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. For sure. Hello, everyone. Like what you're hearing so far? Well, make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button right now. This podcast is made possible by listeners just like you, and we greatly appreciate your support. So let's get back to the show. Domestic violence, also just for you out there, referred to as intimate partner violence, is a pattern of behavior used by one partner to maintain power and control over another partner in an intimate relationship. One feature shared by most abusive relationships is that the abusive partner tries to establish or gain power and control through many different methods at many different moments. Domestic violence doesn't discriminate. People of any race, age, gender, sexuality, religion, education level, or economic status can be a victim or perpetrator of domestic violence. That includes behaviors that physically harm, intimidate, manipulate, or control a partner or force them to behave in ways they don't want to physical violence, threats, emotional abuse, or financial control. We also wanted to share some statistics about with our listeners to really bring the reality of how domestic violence occurs to, um, just to light because it's really important for us to hear the numbers too. So please know that these numbers and statistics may be alarming. Um, so we just wanted to warn you all about that before we go forward. The CDC states that one in four women and one in seven men will experience severe physical violence by an intimate partner in their lifetime and one in 10 women in the United States will be raped by an intimate partner in her lifetime. Approximately 16.9% of women and 8% of men will experience sexual violence other than rape by an intimate partner at some point in their lifetime. And more than 43 million women and 38 million men in the United States will experience psychological aggression by an intimate partner in their lifetime. Over half of female and male victims of rape, physical violence, and or stalking by an intimate partner experienced this form of intimate partner violence for the very first time before they were 25 years old. Data from the U.S. Crime Report suggests that 16% or about 1 in 6 of homicide victims are killed by an intimate partner. 
The reports also found that over half of female homicide victims in the U.S. are killed by a current former male intimate partner. Lesbian and gay domestic violence has shattered the illusion that gays and lesbians are less violent than heterosexual counterparts. In reality, domestic violence occurs at approximately the same rate in gay and lesbian relationships as it does in heterosexual unions. And these are just a few of the facts and figures about domestic violence. So I have a question. Tina, can you please help us answer one of the biggest questions about domestic violence? Why do victims stay in the abusive relationship? I'm glad you asked because that's a question I still hear at presentations all the time. So victims stay in abusive relationships for a variety of reasons. They... First of all, they love the person that they're with. They wouldn't be with them if they didn't. They still have hope for the relationship. They are just caught in a cycle of ups and downs. It's a cycle of violence. It starts out a physical assault or a very bad fight. And then the partner is sorry. He's not going to do it. He's never going to do it again. He's going to bring you flowers, presents, all those things that, that you hear. He's going to sometimes maybe do things you've been asking him to do. Go to church, go to a counselor with you. Just any stop drinking so much. Anything right. that you've been asking him to do and you think, okay, this is going to this is going to work, but it doesn't. Time after time after time. So they stay because of the cycle has them caught in that. They're waiting for him to be nice again and be good and things to be good. They stay for financial reasons. They stay for their children. They don't want to break up their family and not have a father present for their children. I struggled with that. It's hard. I think the beginning, um, you know, you and I talked about this, and this is probably where I wanted to kind of interject a little bit and just say that, you know, when I met my first husband, he was happy and charming and, you know, he was nice to me. If you look back at it, if you're a survivor of domestic violence, you can look back at it and see, and and mine was different. I mean, the stigma around, you know, what I went through, I'm going to jump and say that first, was I wasn't physically abused. You know, I didn't have physical abuse. I was psychologically abused with gaslighting, and I was definitely emotionally abused. So it doesn't, I have no bruises to show for that. So I felt shameful because of that, and I didn't know how to explain it. And honestly, as bad as it sounds for a very long time, people just didn't believe me. When I did try to start say, this is happening, this is happening, it was just like, well, I don't, you know, he just seems so great and whatever. You know, my family kind of saw it, but they didn't see it for what it really was. They thought I was doing it on purpose or going along with him, and it's not their fault. They just didn't understand. You know, so, I mean, I told you earlier that when he came along, it was like that knight in shining armor thing. And, you know, he said, I can listen to your voice for, I could listen to you talk for hours and probably spent a good two weeks listening to me, telling me a story, sharing with me. And then out of nowhere, I'll never forget, he looked at me out of nowhere and just like sat up and looked at me with these piercing eyes and said, do you ever stop talking? Do you ever think of anybody but yourself? And that was number one. That was the very first time he interjected and stopped. And my first gut response wasn't like, "Uh, hey, dude, you asked me to talk, which is what he did. My first response was, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're right. I should have been there for you. I should have listened to you. I'm so interested in you. I'm so sorry. And it was it was that psychological flip the switch. And, you know, that's where it started. That was my first moment. And that's what happens. People get, you know, kind of tr- not tricked, but they get, I guess, groomed. You know, you have the flowers, like you said, or they don't, some people aren't like that. Some people are just very, oh, I'm so into you and intuitive. And they, and they focus on you and they talk to you and they, they just make you feel like you're the most important thing in the whole wide world. Absolutely. And next thing you know, there you are. Right. So... And that's the response he was looking for, the I'm sorry. Yeah. As soon as they hear that, that's it. They know they can keep doing it. Tina, you mentioned emotional reasons for the victim to stay in the relationship. 
What would you say are the most common emotional reasons you hear from victims in your experience with Safe House? So some emotional reasons a victim may stay in a relationship are just the feelings of, I love them, um, no one else would want me, I'm not ever going to be happy with anyone else, uh, my children, this is their father, I need to stay and keep my family together. Your self-esteem is pretty low after you've been in these relationships for a while. The emotional abuse is so much more hard to get over. Um, yeah, I was like, I can't live without you. Yes. That kind of stuff. Yes. If you leave me, I, I might die. You're the best thing that ever happened to them, and they can't be okay without you, even though that's totally just... Oh, absolutely. And they, they choose, abusers just automatically choose pleasers, and mm-hmm. you want to make them feel better. You know, they will threaten everything up to suicide. If you leave yeah, me, I will that. kill myself. Me too. Yeah. And that's the last thing you want to do. I, I would have done anything to make him happy and to keep our family together. All right, Tina. So, you know, we've been talking a lot about different, about why people stay. So for Safe House, that's where you are. You hear a lot of stories. What would you say is the most common reason that you hear your victims say that they're, that they stayed so long? Like what's the most common reason? It's fear. They have been threatened. If you leave me, I will do this. I will take this action. I will, I will take your kids. I will kill you. I will kill your animals. I will hurt your family. And he's followed through on all the other threats he's made to you, so why wouldn't they believe that? Right. In the two weeks after a victim and an abuser separate, that is the most deadly time for a victim to be killed or seriously injured. It really is. It's the scariest thing. Yes, they feel they've lost control, and that's when they'll do the worst of their threats. All right, we know that anyone can be a victim of domestic violence. So I did want to kind of ask you a quick question. So is it, is it true or not that alcohol and drug use are the major cause of domestic violence? That would be false. Alcohol and drugs can intensify an abusive relationship. They can make things worse in the moment. They can cause financial problems, losing jobs, and just the money it costs for those things. But abuse is about anger and control, and it is not about alcohol and drugs. So what are some of the warning signs? Some of the warning signs are Red flags, so we talk about them all the time, are controlling behavior. Where have you been? Who have you been talking to? Controlling someone's social media or monitoring it. Accusing you of cheating, of uh, trying to leave them. They're always convinced you're trying to leave them. That's because they know you should be trying to leave them, but they're always convinced you're trying to leave for some reason or another. If people who move along very quickly, people who want this relationship to go from I just met you to we're dating to let's get married or move in together, that's a huge red flag. And he wants to secure that relationship before you realize who he really is. Yeah. Mm. I would definitely say that's true. Yes. Therapy is extremely important. I swear I I end up plugging therapy every single podcast we have because the first time when I finally escaped and, you know, got away, the very first time, I mean, all I could do, I just like stone cold face, you know, I was like, all right, I'm put my head down and protect my kids. I ended up going back to school. I've got it. I don't have a career. I've got to go back to school. I got, I started my master's program. I've got to do something with myself. Never once did I say, man, I need to go talk to a therapist because I am so broken. I had PTSD for a whole year. I didn't even care for myself whatsoever, which did the worst thing possible, which was why we see repetitive behavior. We see people that have been abused go right back to another abuser, which is exactly what I did. I didn't have the tools and the skills that I later got from two years of therapy to heal and be okay, you know, and that's why I'm saying, oh my gosh, if you're having a problem, come to Safe House. You need, if you need us, we're here. If you need therapy, ask. Don't be afraid. Stop, stop worrying about what people think and just ask because you need it. 
I need it. We all need it, you know, and I think that that's one of the biggest things that I want to jump up and down about is saying, if you need help, if you need therapy, just come on, just ask. Absolutely. You know, we've talked about how domestic violence stems from a desire to gain and maintain that power and control over an intimate partner. So can you just help us understand why this is? I guess we're kind of like digging into the to the perpetrator a little bit and just say, why do people abuse? And can you just, you know, share with our listeners some tactics that they use? Sure. So I, I think that abusers... Typically, they might, they might seem really strong and powerful to other people. As you mentioned, nobody in my family knew that I was with an abuser either. I'm, my family didn't know. My brother's a captain at the police department. He had no idea that his sister was in a violent, abusive relationship, and I covered that up completely, but so did the abuser. He, he's, he just seemed like a great guy. He went to church every Sunday. He was an engineer, just did good things in the community, but at home, he was a nightmare. So I, I feel like abusers, they have other parts of their life together, but they feel weak and they feel they have issues with their own self-esteem True. and that power and control make them feel strong and powerful. And, and like they have some person that looks up to them, adores them and will do anything they say. And that's a power kick for people who, who choose to abuse. Earlier, we talked about how victims have a difficult time leaving. Can you share with our listeners what the term trauma bonding means and what role it plays in domestic violence? Sure. We see a lot of trauma bonding in the shelter. Uh, we hear about it on the hotline. You you become so used to that cycle, those ups and downs. You, you get so attached to that, and it, it's part of your relationship. You think they, they love you. I've just got to make this work. He doesn't mean to do this, and you don't know what normal is anymore. People come into the shelter, and it's so quiet and calm. They do not know what to do with the peace and quiet. It literally drives them crazy. They will tell you, I don't know what to do. I'm used to chaos and constant ups and downs and roller coasters. Mm -hmm. And they'll tell you in future relationships that that's why those didn't work, because it was just calm. It was good, but they didn't really feel like that person loved them because they didn't see that same kind of fire and, um, you know, the ups and downs. The cycle of, you know, I want to hurt you and I'm sorry. I'm hurt. It's like the I'm sorry, I'll never do it again is... It's like their replacement for I love you. Yes, and sadly you become somewhat addicted to that. Yeah. And the longer you're in the relationship, I feel like that's that's even harder to break free from. Yeah. I, I didn't really have that that problem. Once I decided to leave, I, I put the plan in motion and I left. But it, it took my child witnessing physical abuse for me to make that decision. Yeah, I think mine was hard to talk about because, you know, Mine was um, watching my son get hurt. Yes. You know, he find, and I don't even think he knew what he was doing. He just got, he just reacted to my son being, you know, saying, stop yelling at my mommy, stop hurting my mommy. And next thing I know, he's pinned against the wall and getting screamed at by, you know, being grabbed by the throat. And that was it. I was done. I don't, you know, even my son today says, you know, mom, if I had to go through that again, I would just so that you could leave. And that was really a, a big deal and really horrible feeling sometimes to think, wow, I just, Thank you, but that's not I mean, like I really can't believe I, I'm just upset that that even happened to you in in the first place. Right. So I'd say, you know, I'm gonna take a little segue, I guess a little segue question and say, how do you help your victims at Safe House get through that shame? Because shame is, you know, I'm a mistake, and that's the way you feel when you're in a domestic violence situation. Is you're a mistake. That's what they want you to feel. Is yes. you're a mistake, and nothing you do is right. Right. I feel like shame is the hardest thing to overcome. You you think these people are just saying this because they're trying to be nice. This is their job, but they don't really believe that I am a bad person or I'm not enough. I just am not 
not enough to be in to be loved for who I am. I'm not good enough. I'm not perfect enough. I don't, you know, don't do anything right, that kind of thing. But I feel like getting past that shame and letting them know anyone can be in the place that you're in. We all need help sometime. And everyone knows somebody who's been involved in it, in some type of abusive relationship. It could be your mother, your sister, your friend, your coworker, whoever, but that's a lot of people. All those yeah. people can't be wrong. It's, yeah. it's not the victim's fault. You Absolutely. No one deserves that. It took, some, it took how many, I want to know this from you before we, I mean, we're getting close to the end, but how long did it take you after you severed ties with your abuser before you really could look in the mirror and realize, you know what, it's him, not me. I'm good and I am enough. And, you know, and then the biggest one is I forgive you. Many years. I feel like I told myself I was over it. It wasn't my fault. And I continued to tell myself that, but I didn't actually believe it. Probably until my boys were old enough to tell me, Mom, you didn't do anything wrong. You saved us. You didn't hurt us. I always worried they would resent me for, you know, breaking up our family and taking their dad out of the home with them. But I think that's what helped me be stronger. They told me, you taught us to be men who don't hurt women, and you taught us what relationships are supposed to look like. And that was enough for me to realize I changed the course of their life, hopefully, and hopefully they wouldn't grow Absolutely. up and be perpetrators or victims of any type of violence. That's awesome. As far as stigma, because we're, we're on impact stigma, and I, I definitely want to address that, Right goes, you know, what do you think the bit, we really need to, like, address what is the stigma that surrounds you know, domestic violence, I guess, for the for the victim and the perpetrator? I think for the victim, the stigma is I'm weak. I won't stand up for myself. I will allow myself to be treated anyway, mm -hmm. and I'll still stay. I'm desperate. I'm so desperate for a relationship or for this person that I'll stay in a relationship where I'm treated badly. Do you think the public sees people that way? Oh, I, I, absolutely. Even well-meaning people, family members of our victims, just well-meaning people will think, what makes, you know, what makes her think she has to stay? Why wouldn't she just leave? There's help out there, things like that. Yeah. I think it has a lot to do with the victim being programmed over a long period of time. That's kind of how I feel like mine. I mean, it took him about seven years to really crack me. Right. You know, but it was seven years of him trying and just, you know, just coming at me with everything he had. You know, it's just um, the stigma, I think, that I want people to hear when we talk about impact stigma is domestic violence does not discriminate. And it has nothing to do with whether or not you were, you grew up in a really hard home. You know, like you said, your, your family was great. It can, it can affect anybody. Yeah. I didn't have any of the things that you might see in a background of a typical victim. There's not a typical victim. It can right. happen to anyone. Yeah. And, you know, I just want um, all of our men out there to know that there's nothing wrong with asking for help. Right. You know, men don't want to be weak. So they're like, if I say somebody's, you know, this person's doing that to me, that I'm weak. So, you know, we definitely want to give a shout out to our men and say, you know, those out there listening, if you're, if you feel like you're being abused, if this rings true to you, if it's touching you and you're like thinking this is me, please don't hesitate to give us a call and definitely don't look at yourself in the mirror and think that you're weak, you're not. It's strong to ask for help. And it, it means that you may be able to share your story one day and help someone else. Sure. The men that we serve, um, they're no different than the female victims. They are every bit as entitled to our services. And it is just as hard on them to overcome this. And I think harder because of the public perception that a right. man should be stronger. He shouldn't let this happen to himself. Right. But it's the same the abuse. Thank you for sharing that. I wanted to make sure we spoke to the male population because a lot of times domestic violence is, is circled around women and it is hugely a woman's 
issue for sure. Yes. But um, I just want to make sure we say that it doesn't it doesn't miss men. Men are definitely abused. So. Absolutely. You know, I did want to say that I really want our listeners to know about what we're talking about, which is how to ask for that help. So what resources are available both nationally and locally for our Tennessee and Virginia listeners for those in need of help? The hotline uh, is our number one uh, resource or referral method. We receive hotline calls of victims who are just planning leaving. They haven't decided yet. They're still just in that planning stage, and they want to know what what will happen. What is a shelter? Can I bring my children? What is this going to look like? Officers bring, of course, the physically abused victims, the ones that are more stereotypical. They bring them in in the middle of the night, and they've just work to call a domestic and they're bringing that family in for the night. So we, we get, you know, a good amount from law enforcement. The hotline brings in quite a few people, but that's usually several calls. They're not going to make that decision in just one phone call. Right. And then the family justice centers, both in Blountville and in Johnson City, that is a great place to refer a victim because they can come in, ask questions, meet with an advocate. It's a lot less scary to make this huge, huge decision of leaving everything you own basically only bringing what you can grab in a bag and you get to meet with an advocate hear about the therapy and the shelter and the help once you move out of shelter you know we don't just put a band-aid on on this problem we we help them be at shelter until they're safe to be out back out in their own place and then we have a program a transitional housing program and we can help them move into their own place and help them with finances to do that and furniture and all the things to help them start their new life. So what's the hotline number? The hotline number is 844-578-7233. Girl, I was gonna like, I'm so proud of you for having that memorized. She's like, I got it. Hold on. <laughs> she didn't even read that, you guys. She just knew. <laughs> so, you know, there's one question I like to ask everybody that's on here because, you know, I try, we, Josh and I work really hard to come up with really awesome questions and we want to make sure we're doing a good job with the interview and covering all of our bases. But I have one last question. Sure. So if you could step into our shoes on this podcast, and what would you have asked yourself that we didn't? That's a good question. We covered so much that I wanted to cover. I really wanted it to be heard that just because you're in an abusive relationship right now, or maybe you, you've, you're just getting out of one, that doesn't define your life. You, you, you're going to be so much more than that. That's just going to be one chapter in your book. And you will overcome that. I really wanted to make sure that was heard. And then I guess I really... I like to answer, when does this start? When should you start talking to maybe teenage girls and boys about this? And That's I think good. when you're 13, 14, just starting those those dating relationships, I think that's you need to reach those kids and let them know you need to set boundaries. You need to have... You need to have what it takes to say, no, I'm, I'm walking away from that now. If you don't teach really young kids that, then they're going to grow up and not know how to handle this. People don't talk to you about how relationships should look and what what's okay and what's not okay. And what if tickling goes too far to where it hurts? And we hear this with our teenagers in the shelter. And I use every moment I have with those teenage girls and let them, those preteens too, and let them know you can be anything you want to be. You don't need another person. You can be anything you want to. A partner is just an addition in life. It's a good thing and it's something to want, but it should never be something to need or have to have. Right. I always say, I want a partner, not a project. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I finally got there, you know, but you know, I have a, I have a good partner now, but um, yeah, I had a couple of projects. 
But so thank you so much. I am uh, really excited about today. And I say excited a lot, but let me just say it's more than that. It was, um, this was a really great opportunity to be able to explore a difficult topic. Thank you for giving your story means a lot to me. And thank you for, you know, giving me the opportunity to have this discussion with you and Josh and I got to talk to you. It's been so great. And um, that we finally got to track you down. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you for your time today, Tina. And for me personally, you know, it's so healing. We are just delighted. We really are that you are here. So we just want to say thank you for coming to visit with us on Impact Stigma. You know, for our listeners out there, thank you for joining us today. We, you know, without you, we wouldn't be here. So Thank you for being such incredible fans. Plus, if you've listened to a bunch of episodes and you've not subscribed yet, go ahead and do that. Thank you, Josh. You're amazing. I'm so glad you put that in there. Yeah, don't forget to subscribe. Help us out. That's right. Thank you, guys. We really appreciate it. We hope you have a wonderfully blessed day and night. Yep. Thanks for coming, Tina. Thank you. Stigma can make mental health problems worse and even stop a person from getting the help they need. Untreated mental illness places an enormous economic and emotional burden on our communities. Economic burden alone is in the billions, and that directly affects all of us. We all play a crucial role in creating a mentally healthy community, one that is inclusive, rejects discrimination, and supports recovery. For us at Impact Stigma, this is way more than just a podcast. It is about igniting our communities, sharing our stories, and working together with listeners like you. We invite you to find out more about Impact Stigma on our website at impactstigma.com. One way you can make an impact right now is by sharing our podcast with your friends and family because you never know when something we talk about might be the reason someone you love asks for help. Mental illness is not a personal failure. We can't do this without you. So if you feel inspired to get involved, first, subscribe to this podcast. Then go visit our website at impactstigma.com. Watch the video and read about how you can become an impact maker. Thank you for listening to Impact Stigma. You're so glad you chose us. We want to thank our guests again for sharing your impactful story and doing your part to impact stigma. Join us next time as we enjoy some laughs and hear impactful stories. Until then, this work needs you. So go be an impact maker. Thank you and be blessed.